the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. podcast welcome to it i'm your host nick digilio episode number 220 of the nick d podcast here at the radio misfits podcast network the best podcast network in the world with tons of varying and entertaining and informative and funny and mysterious and dramatic and just really cool great podcasts a home for everybody to host create and do amazing work i am so pleased to be a part of Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radio Misfits Podcast Network also has a 24-hour free streaming service that you can hear 24-7 at radiomisfits.live, where you can hear episodes of the entire catalog of the Radio Misfits Podcasts, and you can hear great unsigned bands as part of Unheard Music, which is a great podcast. So if you've got a band and you're in a band that's unsigned and you want your music to be heard by a lot of people 24-7, on RadioMisfits.live, man, just uh, contact us at RadioMisfits.com. Get your band on, get your music on, and in between all that great unheard music, you hear great podcasts, including my podcasts. I have two of them here at Radio Misfits. This one that you're listening to now, the Nick D Podcast, which you can hear daily at 3 p.m. Central on uh, RadioMisfits.live. And my other podcast, which is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast all about Saturday Night Live, you can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central. So twice a day, you can hear my podcast along with all the other great podcasts. And it's free, and it's awesome. It's just like radio, only a lot cooler than radio is right now. So check it out now. Bookmark it. Listen 24-7. Radiomisfits.live. Hey, you want to be a sponsor on this podcast? Lots of people listen to this podcast. It would behoove you to get your product or your business advertised here on this podcast. Do it. It's easy. I want to be a sponsor. Write us a note. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. You could be a sponsor. You can advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Hit a lot of people. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. We also have a, a, a voicemail line and an email line that's open directly for you, the listener, the subscriber. I want to hear from you. I love to hear from you. I read every email that comes in and listen to every voicemail that is recorded, and uh, and some, some of which we read and play back on the podcast. In fact, we have a very... Um, Cool voicemail we're going to be playing a little bit later on when I talk to Esmeralda. So we'll do that. But if you want to leave your comments or questions, questions for any of our regular guests or suggestions or anything, contributions of any kind, we want to hear from you 24-7, any day of the night, any day or night or whatever, any time at all, seven, uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 773-417-6948. Call that voicemail and leave a message now. Drop us an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound and the themes and the weirdness, and he's awesome and brilliant. And uh, please take the time to share, rate, and review us on every single platform. We're available everywhere. And uh, we love that you're listening. And my thanks to Ed and everybody at RadioMisfits.com. So that's all the tech stuff. Please contact us. Be a part of it. Be interactive with us. It's the Nick T Podcast. Coming up, 
on the podcast. I am very, very excited uh, to welcome a special guest to the podcast uh, today. His name is Terrell Johnson. He is the executive director of the Chicago uh, Philharmonic, uh, an incredible group that's been around for many, many years. Um, and Terrell's been the executive director for a while now. Um, and he has developed some new programs and some really cool features and some amazing things that are happening with the Chicago Philharmonic. So we're going to talk about the Chicago Philharmonic, what's been happening there. And in addition, he started, he helped to start a film series at, uh, with the Chicago Philharmonic that is going to be performed uh, at and shown and performed at the Auditorium Theater, a series of five films where there will be a live score accompanying the big screening of the movie in the beautiful Auditorium Theater with the Chicago Philharmonic performing live. And the first of these five special movies is happening Saturday night at the Auditorium Theater in downtown Chicago, and they will be screening Blade Runner. Um, the amazing Ridley Scott movie, one of my favorite movies ever of all time. Um, it'll be the 2007 final director's cut version. Uh, as you know, the movie came out in 1982. was not exactly the way Ridley Scott wanted it. It had um, a voiceover a narration track that nobody really liked, that Harrison Ford didn't like doing and Ridley Scott didn't like having, kind of forced upon them by the studio. The movie, when it was first released, when Blade Runner was first released, some people don't remember this, it bombed. It was a huge bomb. Didn't make any money. Cost Warner Brothers a lot of dough. Uh, and Ridley Scott wasn't really uh, thrilled about the voiceover and thrilled about a couple of the other changes that he had to make. So in 1993, they released a Ridley, another Ridley Scott cut of it without the voiceover narration. And then in 2007, the final version was released without um, the narration and with a couple of extra scenes put in that Ridley Scott originally wanted to put in and digitally cleaned up. And that's the cut that they're going to show on the giant screen in the beautiful historic auditorium theater on Saturday night while the score will be played live by the Chicago Philharmonic. This is going to be an unbelievable night. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Julie and I are going. Um, and it's hard for me to even explain how excited I am. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies of all time. I even love I adore the 1982 version with the voiceover narration and everything because, you know, that's the movie that came out when I was 17. That movie came out. I was in high school. That's the one I grew up watching. That's the one that I watched over and over and over again in the theater that I went to see in the theater. And that's the one that I watched on VHS and on cable a thousand times. So I have a soft spot in my heart for the 1982 version. But all the other cuts, especially the final version, that we'll be seeing on Saturday night at the auditorium, the 2007 cut, is a masterpiece. It's extraordinary. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. One of the quintessential and best science fiction movies ever made. Maybe my favorite science fiction movie of all time is Blade Runner. Um, and everybody in it is incredible. It's just great. And that 2007 um, ultimate director's cut, the movie that Ridley Scott wanted from the get-go, is going to be screened on the big screen at the beautiful historic Auditorium Theater on Saturday night with a live accompaniment by the Chicago Philharmonic. So we're going to talk about that incredible event, the other four movies that will be part of the series, and we're going to talk about great music and the history of the Chicago Philharmonic and what else is happening with the executive director, uh, Terrell Johnson. And I'm very, very excited to have him on the, uh, on the podcast. So Terrell Johnson from the uh, Chicago Philharmonic will be joining me. Also joining me, the wonderful Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda Leon joins me on every single podcast. She is my cohort. Uh, is, a, is, is fantastic, been working with her for years. And you know that Esmeralda Leon, when she shows up, we hear the great theme song. 
We've got a magic megaphone request, by the way. If you want anything sped, said, or recorded or spoken into the magic megaphone, give me your requests. I'm a monkey. I'll speak into it. I'll play whatever you want. The magic megaphone is magic, and you can hear it into the ether. It can be a movie line or one of your favorite sayings or just something you want to say to somebody else. Whatever you want into the magic megaphone, make those requests via email or, um, or phone. Uh, voicemail, and we'll see to it that these are happening. We are granting a magic megaphone from a listener today. So you can be that listener. You can have your message sped out into the world through the magic megaphone. So get those requests in. We get a lot of them, and I sift through them a lot, and we play them uh, as often as possible. So we do have a magic megaphone message coming up. Again, if you want to leave a voicemail message or an email telling me that you want to hear anything from the magic megaphone, it's 773-417-6948 or nickdpodcast at gmail.com. We got a magic megaphone. We're going to talk about celebrities that everybody hates. And we have a new package from Universal Yums. My friend Deanna, who is a great, cool uh, listener, uh, signed me and Esmeralda up to a monthly package of snacks, both savory and sweet, candy, chips, whatever. A box full of incredible snacks comes once a month, delivered directly to our front door from Universal Yums. And they come from different parts of the world every month. And we just got a box full of France snacks. So we are going to take a tour of France with all of the uh, trivia and all of the facts. And we've got a whole bunch of really cool snacks directly from France that we're going to taste test, tell you how to get, and, uh, and even more. Great people over at Universal Yums, man. Um, yeah, they're fantastic. UniversalYums.com if you want to sign up to get a wonderful box delivered to your front door every month where you get a sample of incredible snacks and food and candy from different parts of the world. Again, we're going to start our snack tour of France today. That's with Esmeralda Leon. We also have a couple of voicemails that we're going to check out as well. It's a packed show. Esmeralda, Magic Megaphone, Celebrities That You Hate. We got candy and snacks from France that we're going to try out. Voicemails. We have a great guest in Terrell Johnson, who is the executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic, to talk about incredible music and the Blade Runner concert that's coming up on Saturday. And much, much more. We also have this lovely lady. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. That's right, Carrie. I know you do, baby. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. That's all on the show today. Uh, By the way, Eric and uh, and Steve normally join me every other week uh, to be a part of the show, but uh, we're giving them a week off because I really wanted to talk to Terrell Johnson about the Philharmonic and about Blade Runner. Uh, so we're going to do that. But I do want to mention a couple of movies that we would have reviewed that are opening uh, today. Um, and I do want to mention those. Uh, they both suck. So um, <laughs> it's easy to review them. It's easy to dismiss them. And we would have just, Eric and Steve and I would have just complained probably about uh, about the movies. Although I can't speak for uh, for them about whether or not they, no, well, I know that uh, I know that Steve didn't like these two movies. I'm not sure about Eric. But I can tell you what I thought of them. And the big movie that opens up uh, today is the latest Marvel movie, although everybody corrects me. It's not a Marvel movie, man. It's from Sony. It's just a Marvel product. I don't know the difference, and I really don't give a shit what the difference is. It's a goddamn Marvel movie. The logo popped up on the screen after the Sony Columbia Pictures logo popped up. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a Marvel movie. And I know that all the geeks out there and the dorks are like, it's not a Marvel movie, man. It's not part of the Marvel Universe. It's not for Marvel. I don't give a shit. It's stupid, it's comic book, it's dumb, it's Marvel, it's shit. It's the same crap. I don't care if it comes from Sony, or I don't care if it comes from Huey Lewis. I don't care where it comes from. If it's a Marvel movie, it's a fucking Marvel movie, and I don't care. It's the MCU, it's not part of that, it's not part of... I don't care, it's all stupid. Please. 
Don't complicate the matter by making a stupid series of movies from a stupid studio, even more stupid by trying to delineate between Columbia and Marvel. Who gives a shit? It's all crap. Anyway, the movie's called <laughs> Madam Web. And hey, hey, you know what? And I didn't hate it. And here's the funny thing. Everybody else on the planet hated this movie. This is a prequel. I don't know what the hell it is. Because if you listen to this podcast, if you listen to me on the radio, you know that I don't give a shit about any of these goddamn comic book movies. They are all a waste of time for the most part. And they all sucker you in where the rules don't count. And there's this universe and that universe so that they can kill off a character in one movie and make you pay another $15 to see the next movie by bringing them back to life. They don't give a shit about you. They give a shit about your money. So this whole, it's in a different universe, and blah, blah, justifying the tricks that these idiots do to you to get your money is really pathetic. So anyway, I don't know who the hell Madam Web is. I don't care. It's connected to the Spider-Man universe because, like, Peter Parker is born in this movie, and, like, Uncle Ben, I guess, is Uncle Ben from the fucking... He, he's not the one who makes rice. He's the one who is the uncle of the of Spider-Man, and he's in it, played by Adam Scott. And there's, so there's a subplot that kind of introduces the birth of Peter Parker, and there are all kinds of, like, I guess, Easter eggs and inside jokes about Spider-Man. I don't care. It's a waste of my time. So anyway, I love Dakota Johnson. She's the lead in this, and I love her. And she is way above the material here. Now, I will say this. I don't think this movie's horrible. It's a prequel, or not a prequel. It's a setup. It's an origin story. I guess Madam Web's a blind old lady who has magic powers and three young uh, superheroes who dress up. They're girls, and they dress up like Spider-Man, and they run around and do shit. I don't know what they do. I don't care. And she's like, I don't care. All I know is that this is an origin story. There's not a lot of, um, you know, there's not, there's, there's not a lot of like superhero stuff that happens in the movie. It's kind of like this character study of a woman who discovers that she has like psychic powers where she can kind of see in the future and knows that these three young ladies are in trouble because there's a maniac in a Spider-Man suit. I don't know if he's Venom. I don't know who he is. He's an asshole in, a, in an evil Spider-Man suit. So I guess there's a difference between Venom and some other asshole in a Spider-Man suit running around being a bad guy. So anyway, this guy who's in the movie is possibly... Uh, it's possibly the worst performance I've ever seen in a superhero movie. And there are a lot of really shitty performances in a lot of really shitty superhero movies. But this guy, uh, who plays the villain in this movie, it's, first of all, he doesn't, he's, he's not helped by the script because it's a horribly written part with terrible dialogue. But this guy's the worst actor maybe I've ever seen uh, in a superhero movie. One of the most embarrassing and awful and wincing performances I've ever seen in a movie, in a superhero movie. The guy's awful. Anyway, he's the villain. And uh, uh, Dakota Johnson is like, a, she's an ambulance driver and an EMT uh, who has psychic powers. And she help, helps these three young ladies, one of them being Sydney Sweeney uh, from Euphoria and all these other bullshit. And, uh, and, they're, they're, and so they team up together to try and uh, stop this uh, villain who's dressed up like a bad Spider-Man. I don't know who he is and I don't care. Uh, it's all a bunch of nonsense because it's all Marvel, it's all comic, and it's all bullshit like 95% of these things are. But I actually thought there were some really cool sequences in it. I thought it was actually well shot and kind of really well edited, and I really like Dakota Johnson. But overall, Dakota cannot save this material because it's subpar and it's nonsense. 
Um, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as everybody else does. I'm usually the one trashing these stupid-ass comic book movies, like these dumbass Marvels and these stupid-ass DCs, and I don't know the difference between DC and Marvel, and I could not possibly care less. Could not possibly care less. Um, so anyway, uh, so that so that's Madam Web, and it's a pre, and it's it, it sets up the whole series, and at the very end, uh, finally you get to see the characters in their costumes, and you get to see you know Dakota Johnson dressed up like what I guess Madam Web and these other three idiots are supposed to look like, because they're not at all. They're like teenage girls and an EMT driver running around trying to save each other. So there's no real superheroes in it. <laughs> so it sets up a sequel that will, by the way, never happen. But I just think it's very ironic and very weird that I'm kind of defending this kind of crappy movie more than I would any other Marvel movie while everybody else is trashing it. So whatever. I, I don't know these comic book movies and I don't give a shit about them. I don't think this one is, I, I think this one's better than about the last six, six that I saw. It's certainly better than Blue Beetle. It's certainly better than the last Ant-Man movie. It's better than the Marvels. It's better than like the last five or six comic book movies I saw. It's still not great because most of the comic book movies suck, but it's better than most of them. So, hey, you want to go see it because you're a comic book idiot? Go see it. You'll probably hate it. Dakota Johnson's in it. So at that point, it gets a heads up on everything else because Dakota Johnson rules. The other movie that opens is Bob Marley, One Love. The less said about this movie, the better. Um, uh, and I, I put on my social media that um, I, I saw a movie that's actually, I saw two movies that were worse than Madam Web because everybody's trashing Madam Web. So I posted on my Facebook page and on social media that there are actually two movies that I saw right after Madam Web that are actually worse than Madam Web. In fact, a lot worse than Madam Web. Uh, one of them is Ethan Cohen's new movie, which I won't, I, we won't talk about now. Um, and it's called Drive Away Dolls, which is one of the worst movies I've seen. Uh, and the Cohen brothers, together and apart, have made shitty movies. Uh, Joel Cohen's adaptation of Macbeth that he did without Ethan at all, Ethan wasn't involved at all, was terrible. Uh, Ethan has now made a movie without Joel involved at all, and it's terrible. And together, they've made some shitty movies. So both of these guys, the Cohen brothers, the worshipful Cohen brothers, are not infallible, and they have made shitty movies together and now apart. So I'll give you details on this Drive-Away Dolls when it comes out. I'll review it with, um, I'll review it with uh, Eric and Steve at some point. But it's a piece of shit, and it's actually worse than the Madam uh, Webb movie. And then the other one that's worse than the Madam Webb movie is this terrible Bob Marley biopic, which uh, Kingsley Ben-Adir plays uh, Bob Marley. Um, he has also played, uh, oddly enough, he's played Barack Obama, and he's played Malcolm X. Um, and uh, I guess he's making a... Uh, uh, a career out of playing incredible, iconic African-American men and heroes from the past. Um, and he's, there's nothing wrong with him. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a terribly written script. He essentially has, he's got great dreads. He smokes a ton of pop, or pop. He smokes a ton of pot. Um, he's got a good Jamaican accent, and he lip syncs well because that's what he does here. Basically what it is is it's a movie that's filled with a bunch of Bob Marley songs, a bunch of classic Bob Marley songs and great Bob Marley songs, uh, but the script around it is awful. It is, as, so it is, it is just as, as cliche-ridden uh, a music biopic as you can possibly imagine. The creation of the albums, the album titles, the creation of the songs are so ludicrously simplistic uh, the way they show them writing the songs, the way they show Bob Marley's inspiration for what happens, it's all done in milliseconds after some event happens. He suddenly comes up with this song or suddenly comes up with a title. Um, my guess is that a lot of this is inaccurate, even though Marley's family and estate approves this and was a part of the creation of it. And Ziggy Marley has an executive producer 
uh, credit on it. And in fact, at the screening that I went to, there was a, a, a film, a video of Ziggy Marley introducing the movie to the cast. But, uh, but that doesn't really mean it's going to be a good movie because the Presley estate and the Presley family was behind Baz Luhrmann's awful, unwatchable, offensive, terrible Elvis movie from last year. So just because the family and the estate of someone famous is involved or cre- as creative input in the movie doesn't make the movie good. And the proof of that is Baz Luhrmann's awful Elvis movie from last year. And this is another version of that. It's a terrible movie. Simplistic and idiotic. Every single stupid, overdone, and tiresome cliche is on display in almost every single scene of this movie. Um, It's a lot of people with varying Jamaican accents. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them are embarrassing. Um, Some of them are bad. Um, Just uh, sitting around repeating things that no one would ever say. It tries to take on the political things that happened in Bob Marley's life and tries to make them, you know, as hugely historically significant as possible. The structure of the movie is a mess. It takes place over the course of just a few years in his life, but it does have flashbacks from when he was a kid and a teenager when he first met his wife. Uh, The relationship with his wife, which is arguably the most interesting thing in the movie, thanks to uh, Lashana Lynch, who plays his wife. Um, they have the most interesting story in the movie, but even that is taking a, a, a backseat to the stupid let's create songs and album title cliches that go over and over and over again. It's one of the worst movies I've seen. I mean, I've seen, so far, I will just say this. Let me just say this. So far, 2024 has been a terrible film year. Terrible. The majority of the movie screenings that I've gone to, that I've gone to, the press screenings that I've gone to, almost all of them have sucked. Um, yeah. I actually, except for, I believe, no, yeah, pretty much every movie. I have not recommended a movie that I've seen at a press screening yet. We are in the middle of February, okay? And this isn't really unusual. I've said this before. The beginning of the year is always a pretty bad time for movies. They dump a lot of the stuff that nobody cares about because everybody is thinking about the best movies of the year before and everybody's trying to catch up on the Oscars. So for about the first two and a half months, usually it's a dumping ground for bad movies. But I'm telling you right now, This year has been exceptionally awful. There are a lot of bad movies in movie theaters right now. And the two that opened today, Madam Web, which is probably the best of the movies that I've seen, and it's not even that good. It's not good, in fact. Uh, But this Bob Marley movie is awful. I mean, really, really awful. It does a disservice if you're a fan of Bob Marley. The thing is, it's weird because I I posted on the internet, you know, on, on my socials and stuff, that the movie is bad. And suddenly people are coming out of the way, man, don't say anything bad about Bob Marley and Bob Marley, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying anything bad about Bob Marley. I think Bob Marley is great. Um, I'm not as crazy about him as everybody else is. There is a period of time where a lot of people love Bob Marley because they're in a college dorm. They put the poster up on their wall and they discover marijuana. So yes, everybody goes through a Bob Marley phase where they adore Bob Marley. And it's usually in a, in a dorm room, in a college dorm room, and uh, your entire dorm room smells like weed, and that's when you think, for about two years, you think Bob Marley is the most creative genius that's ever walked the planet Earth. And then you get past that, and you go, yeah, the guy was amazing, but you know, maybe I should calm down a little bit, buy better weed, and take the, take the poster off my wall, because I'm not 19 anymore. <laughs> so, but the point is that Bob Marley was an amazingly talented artist, important artist historically, and the world of music uh, uh, would, would, would not be what it is without Bob Marley. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that that, you know, that he's a bad artist because there's a big difference between, 
you know, like uh, 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 slamming an artist and slamming the movie that was made about their lives because it's absolutely possible and has happened many, many, many times to make a really shitty, terrible movie based on a really great, talented person. It's been done a million times. I mean, like I just said, the Elvis movie that Baz Luhrmann made last year is one of the worst movies ever made, and he is an, an embarrassment to the history of film as a director. And it's an awful movie, but Elvis was great. Elvis was 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 amazing. I love Elvis. I'm a huge Elvis fan. I worship the ground the guy walked on, and yet that movie's a piece of crap. So it's possible to make a terrible movie based upon a really amazing special person. That's the case with Bob Marley. Bob Marley, an amazing musician, an important historical figure, and they made a really, really shitty ABC movie of the week, stereotypical, all full, cliched movie biopic about him. You will learn nothing except for some people can do Jamaican accents and some don't. It looks pretty cool to smoke a pot a lot and throwing around historical headlines and throwing around like uh, conflicts and wars and things like that just so that you can come up with these stupid scenes where they create these songs and these titles. Like they literally created Exodus because someone was listening to the soundtrack, like one of his whalers, one of the guys in the whalers band, one day, according to this, according to this movie, he was upstairs practicing. Bob Marley's upstairs practicing. Someone downstairs is listening to the soundtrack of the movie Exodus. And Bob Marley's like, hey, what are you listening to? He said, this is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's beautiful music, the score from this movie Exodus. And he goes, oh, that gives me an idea. And then he writes Exodus, and then they title the album Exodus. That pretty much sums up everything. Like, if something terrible happens in his life where he has an argument with his wife, then he'll, he writes a song about it. And, uh, you know, and that's literally the structure of the movie. It's like, <laughs> it's like, weird event happens in Bob Marley's life. He immediately writes a song about it. The Wailers perform it. The actor lip syncs to it. And let's go on to the next one. Let's go on to the next song where we have this stupid, or we can name drop titles of songs throughout. It is a terrible script. It is a terrible movie. Bob Marley was a great man and deserved better. I know his family's involved in it, but you know what? Big checks are cut when these things are done. So, anyway. So, uh, the two movies that opened this week, Madam Web, I'm not recommending it, but it's not nearly as bad as everybody says it is. I still don't recommend it because it's a stupid Marvel movie. And then Bob Marley, One Love is terrible. So, anyway, uh, since Eric and uh, Steve are not here, and we would probably, both of them would probably agree with me on these Maybe not as intensely, because I think they're both... Well, Madam, I'm sure they would intensely hate Madam Webb. I didn't. But I don't know if they'd hate uh, the Bob Marley movie as much as I did. But anyway, so those are the two big movies that opened today. Don't waste your goddamn time. That's it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what you should do movie-related this weekend is... Uh, is Hi, what, I'm oh? Carrie Russell, and I, no, I love Nick's show. Carrie, you don't have a movie out right now. Last year you did. Around this time last year you had Cocaine Bear. Hi, so I'm Carrie yeah, Russell, I and I love okay. Nick's show. All right. I love you too, but you don't have any movies out right now. Anyway, so if you're going to do anything movie-related this weekend, what you need to do is you need to go to the Auditorium Theater on Saturday night, and you need to see Blade Runner in concert. And we are going to talk with Terrell Johnson, who is the executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic, right after I tell you that you indeed need to be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff.
And um, this music is from one of my favorite movies uh, of all time, um, Blade Runner. Um, and it is music that is composed by the great uh, Greek uh, composer, the late great uh, Greek composer, Vangelis, um, who was one of many film uh, scores that he composed over the years that he was working as a composer in Hollywood and so on and so forth. And, and it's, I think it's an amazing score. And to see this film on the big screen is a treat, but to see it on the big screen accompanied li by live incredible musicians from the Chicago Philharmonic is going to be incredible. And it's part of the, uh, the film series, the Auditorium Films film series, and that's PH Films because of Philharmonic. See how that works? Um, and uh, it's the first one in a series of five films that will be done this year at the Auditorium Theater, and I could not be more excited to go. I can't wait to see it, and I am really excited to welcome here to the podcast the executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic. Um, uh, his name is uh, Terrell Johnson. Terrell, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are it's, you? I'm good. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited. Before we started recording, I'll let people in on this. I, I, I asked if, um, if it was ironic and if anybody has pointed out the fact that um, the first film in this series is Blade Runner and that your first name is Terrell. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I and I congratulated you for being the first to catch that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for people who don't know, it's the, it's the Tyrell Corporation is the is the corporation that that makes the replicants in the movie. And I just thought, as soon as I got the email from the publicist when we were setting up this interview, and I said his first name is Tyrell, that's amazing. <laughs> I got very excited for the interview. But anyway, but I'm surprised I was the first one to point that out. Now it's a point of pride for me. I have to say, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about your background. Um, you are not only the um, executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic, but you are a board director of the Illinois Council of Orchestras and a co-chair for the Harris Theater for Music and Dance Committee on resident companies and even more. First of all, how do you how do you have time for all of this? And second of all, let's get to uh, your background. How did you start into music? Ooh, um, well, I, I started in music pretty young. I was probably I think six years old, started on piano. I'm from Florida and um, I have never stopped since then. I've been a musician my entire life and I have a bachelor's and master's in performance for clarinet. And I, um, before joining the Philharmonic, I was at the New World Symphony in Miami Beach, which is a laboratory uh, for exceptional musicians um, outside of like the graduated college or their masters or doctoral programs are and are kind of in that in between before they win that lifelong tenure position at a tremendous organization. Um, so, and in 2021, uh, our, our executive director at the Philharmonic, Don Milanovic, uh, was retiring and they were looking for someone who could fill the, <laughs> the big shoes yeah. uh, of Donna. Yeah. She had she had been a performing member for over 30 years and um, the last 10 years of her tenure with the Philharmonic became executive director. So it's a very niche set of skills needed. Um, but uh, but we, we hit it off, and I've been so thrilled to be in this position for the last two and a half years. That's amazing. Those are big shoes to fill. Were you intimidated at all when you when – you, when you... Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think um, uh, one of the great things about the Philharmonic is we have a very unique uh, business model and structure where we have 185 – outstanding musicians. We were founded by the Lyric Opera principal musicians um, 34 years ago. And from that, we've become this incredibly entrepreneurial, uh, savvy, scrappy organization that uh, supports the amazing ecosystem of musicians at Chicago. So we have 
about 185 members and we do programs throughout the city of Chicago as well as the Midwest. We have a we've had a 30 year residency at the Ravinia Festival. Right. As you mentioned, I'm on the chair of the resident company um, uh, for the Harris Theater and Philharmonic is also one of the 25 uh, resident companies. We've been one at the Harris for the last 10 years. And then on top of that, we have a, a fantastic relationship as well with the Auditorium Theater. We um, have so like loved spending time in that incredibly beautiful hall. Oh, and beautiful. we've created this, this film series most recently through other years of partnerships. And now we have this, this incredible series that'll kick off with Blade Runner and then go all the way through some tremendous genres of music and, and film all the way uh, to through December. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the movies are completely different. Each one of them is completely different. The, the genres are different and the style of music, like the scores could not be more different. Was that one of the things that you wanted to do when you guys set out to do this series? Did you want them to be scores that were vastly different from one another? Was that part of the challenge? We, we did. That was, that was a main goal. I you know as I always say this, and I think it's so important is that we have, you know, for instance, Blade Runner, you have Harrison Ford, you have Sean Young, who are some of the stars of that film. And the other stars of that film and the other ones in this series, the, the other main star is the music. And yeah. so a, a very important part of the, of the decision process for us selecting uh, film concerts is having a tremendous story, but to have the music be at the, the forefront. And so um, the this project starting off with Blade Runner is so interesting because we have um, at the time was kind of a new frontier where Mangelis is using the synthesizer to create new sounds and, and um, textures and things of music, um, which has been kind of, kind of represented in the decades beyond that, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, later this year, we're doing Marvel studios, black Panther, and you have the combination of these, Afrofuturistic sounds with the with the tama drum, also with synthesizer, also with a full seventy person orchestra, and it's all blending together. But you know, if you kind of listen closely, starting at Blade Runner and then moving to the other programs, you can hear the influences that they've each had on each other. Yeah. Um, so it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds exciting. Well, before we get to it, so the lyric opera orchestra. Was it, the, the musicians from the, the Lyric Opera kind of founded uh, the Chicago Philharmonic? That's an amazing story. Um, is there still a connection between the Lyric? Yeah. So, so our our board of directors we have um, uh, twenty eight board of directors. Half of the board are musicians. So some of them are Lyric Opera musicians. Some are um, from other organizations throughout Chicago. And it's um, it's it's uh, I think it's a great great honor and like recognition of the incredible music ecosystem of Chicago that we can all thrive and support each other and, and be collaborating. So uh, many of our musicians are, are members of that orchestra, but also many others are members of um, uh, many other places. I, I think the best way to put it is when I go to a show, it's hard not to see one of our right. members <laughs> because, right. because right. You know, I went to Hamilton. You'll see members of the Philharmonic in the pit. If you go to yeah. the ballet, you'll see members of the Philharmonic. Uh, so, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. That's great. That's great. I did. Uh, you know, it's a completely different thing and on a whole and a much lower level. But I did storefront theater for probably 20 years in Chicago. 
And, uh, you know, there's, there's people who are part of that community that you see in everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. it's, and, and I like to see that, that, that has a, but that distinctly has a Chicago feel to it, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it happens in other cities, but there's just something about Chicago and the arts that more, that Chicago is a great art city and a great community for the arts. Would you agree with that? It absolutely is. It's, it's, uh, I, you know, moving here from Florida have been, it's been so rich, like anywhere you go, you can find world-class opportunities in the arts. You can, you can see an amazing Broadway performance. You can see an amazing symphonic performance. Um, so we are very fortunate to live in, in, in an area with so much talent in one place. Yeah. And, and everybody supports everyone, you know, uh, it, it seems like a competition in other cities, but you know, uh, uh, musicians support musicians, and I know that actors and and and, and creators of, of theater and art and stuff like that. You like to see other people succeed in this town because you like the arts in general, and 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 I love that about this city. I really do. Yes, it's the the high tides raise all ships. Uh, yeah, mentality for sure. exactly, exactly. Tell me more about the Harris Theater and what goes on there. Uh, you know, um, and and what has happened. What's what's going on in the future at Harris for for, for music and otherwise. Uh, so so the Harris is is Chicago's home for music and dance. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we've, we've, you know, we, we have always supported both sides actually. So um, the Philharmonic, we do a lot of our presentations at the Harris and in addition to other spaces, but we also work with the Harris when there is visiting organizations like if English National Ballet is coming to town or, or um, Miami City Ballet or, or whatever ballet companies, Harris is a beautiful space for, for dance and yeah. also the live music that supports that dance is often presented by the Philharmonic. And so we have a great relationship in terms of not only our, our live music productions, but also the, supporting the dance productions there. So it's, it's, um, this is the Harris is a, is a beautiful space because you have um, about 25 resident companies of tremendous talent of all disciplines um, at the Harris. And so it's a, it's a great space of just um, creativity uh, and the Harris also, they present um, some really exciting programs. They're, they're actually bringing the New York City Ballet later this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, beautiful stuff. Now, let me also ask you about some of the things that you do to to um, to recruit, not recruit, but get younger people involved. And uh, and people you know, young, who are kids and younger people, high school students, even younger, younger than that, um, who get into music. Uh, what kind of programs have you been a part of, have been established by the, the organizations that you work with to, to get younger people in and to start doing music and, and how has that paid off for, for, for the younger set? So we have a few initiatives. We have our Academy of Music Performance, which brings musicians of the Philharmonic into schools um, for like master classes and mentorship and coaching and, and lessons um, and performance. And then in addition to that, the Philharmonic, we also have an internship program. So um, which has been very fruitful for us because we've had interns who, um, you know, af- after the internship pr- program become full-time employees. And um, that internship program, there's two levels. There's one college and there's also a high school one. So for the high school students, that's been a great way in the summer for them to get experience working for uh, a nonprofit and getting a behind-the-scenes experience. And maybe before they go to college, they can kind of solidify maybe where their interests lie. And so... Um, to those programs and also the biggest thing is is our performances um we we are, we're doing so many diverse uh programs from from the film concerts to our our symphonic programs to concerts with pop artists i mean like our performances we've had tremendous concerts at rabinia from our film concerts to 
We work with Lady Gaga, work with Tony Bennett, uh, Weird Al, Ben Folds. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the our, our I think it's our breadth of of uh, offerings in terms of like like the performance content that's really engaging to younger audiences too. In addition mm-hmm. to exposing them to you know symphonic music and they you know like they they come to a film concert and they you know they get the the hook of like that lush symphonic sound and then yeah, they want to come yeah. to the the Mahler concert next yeah yeah now you mentioned weird al what was it like working with what, <laughs> what was it like working with weird al and and did the musician musicians in, in, enjoy that cuz he's just uh, you know it's 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 so strange i think weird al you know everybody oh it's weird al he's funny and everything but i think the guy's enormously talented and a great musician and um and has done some really amazing things and also just is a lot of fun. What was it, what was the program like working with him? Oh, I wish I could tell you that was, I'd have to ask Donna. That was, Oh, that uh, was Donna. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm jealous. Donna also um, has had some very fun experiences and, you know, I think that Seth McFarlane was another one. Um, oh boy. But, okay. but uh, you know, during my time in the last two and a half years, we've worked with Kishibashi, who's an amazing yeah. singer songwriter. Yeah. Um, instrumentalist and then also sleeping at last and tank and the bangas which is a soul um hip-hop ensemble where we uh premiered their new album with orchestra at the auditorium theater and uh had everyone on their feet for two hours uh basically isn't that great isn't that great What what are the what are the challenges of the different venues, Terrell? When you when you're when you get an orchestra together, when you get the music together, not every venue sounds the same. There are challenges. I mean, Ravinia is outdoors, and some of these other places are outdoors, and every venue has different acoustics. What goes into selecting the musicians and selecting the pieces and using those venues for those audible challenges? That's a great question. So the the Philharmonic, since we have 185 musicians, we're never we don't have 185 on stage. Right, so right, right, right. The, uh, there's, a, there's a committee of musicians that we, together, um, there's a selection process to determine, like, well, out of our membership, who's best suited for this type of, this type of program? Yeah. And so when we're doing a, a classical concert, there's, there's certain musicians that we want to have on those programs. But if we're doing a program and maybe it's like, we need a great Latin trumpet player or we need a jazz uh, instrumentalist or... Uh, Johnny Mathis, we've worked with him several times, and we need um, some great doublers and saxophones. So we, our members, since the roster is uh, a great, just deep pool of talent, each concert, the membership are curated specifically for that program. Right. So for for the uh, Blade Runner premiere, that program needs a group of uh, very experienced electronic string players. So we have right. electronic violin, viola, cello, double bass, uh, several synth players, and so that's and that's a very unique uh, thing. So we're we're having conversations with our with our committee members to determine like who's best suited for that program, mm-hmm. and then for the venue, uh, that, that so the Harris Theater is an intimate space where we do a lot of our experimental classical programs and partnerships, and then the auditorium is this huge right uh, historic venue. And, and so when we're doing a project and we're like, okay, Blade Runner is going to be something and yeah. we, we're going to need a, we're going to need a, it's like a, I don't know. I, what's that? We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's Jaws. Yeah. Jaws. Yeah. yeah so Which also, by the way, who also, by the way, has a great score, but anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, I digress. That's true. That's true. I digress. Yeah, we're staying on theme. That's good. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the auditorium is that space. So like we, we have done 
lots of ambitious large projects there. So like this big premiere of, audit, of uh, Blade Runner in the United States will take place at the auditorium. It's a, uh, and this film series. These are these these projects are very popular, and so you need a venue um, that can hold that fan base. And so you know having a three thousand plus seat venue is perfect for this type of project. Yeah. And also the footprint on the stage because you need a very large stage. Um, we're doing so out of, out of these projects. Blade Runner has the most intimate ensemble, and then the orchestras continue to grow. So the Batman, um, Batman nineteen eighty nine, that orchestra is quite large, and and as we move on, Marvel Studios Black Panther in concert gets even larger. Now we're up to almost seventy people, and then the largest ensemble will be uh, towards the end of the series. We're, we're doing the, the North American premiere of the Francis Ford Coppola, Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah. and, and concert. That's 110 musicians. Oh, my God. With a, uh, so with, with a 40, 40-person 40 choir. So oh, we man. need a lot of room. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so we, we, we've um, – it's, 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 this series is, is quite epic. And, uh, and, and then, you know, it caps out with – with love actually in December, but uh, certainly the best location for us to, to hold this series is at the auditorium. And, and then we can't wait, you know, obviously mentioning the summer, um, everyone wants to be outside in the summer, I think in Chicago. And it's, it's so beautiful to be at Ravinia. I always call it, it's like the Disney world for music. So uh, <laughs> our musicians absolutely love being at Ravinia in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it is. I mean, obviously, people go there with with the intent of listening to the music. I mean, because you know you have this this the seats where you can actually see everything, but there's that lawn you can't really see anything. But that's not the point. The point is you're there to listen to the music, and people who go to Ravinia want to hear the music. Exactly. Um, which is which is which is really cool. And the and uh, so so the adjustments that are made between like the Harris, which is intimate, the auditorium, which is huge. Um, and then, you know, the Ravinia, which is out with this outdoor outdoors. Do you pick musicians specifically who, uh, are more suited for venues or does that matter at all? It's more, it's more attached to the, 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 the score and the music itself. Yeah. Um, cause our musicians, I mean, these venues, uh, are, they're all stellar for music. Like each one of them, I think acoustically has uh, like the auditorium was, 134 years ago was the original home of the Chicago Symphony. Right. And that space was, you know, built to, to house ballet and live music. And so that's a great space for performing music. Um, the, and, and so really the, the, the decision has always been what, uh, based on the project, like what venue would be best suited to, to house it. Because sometimes we had, we with this past weekend, we did a celebration of, of the Chinese new year. Mm-hmm. And my my goodness, we we could have had uh, I mean, three more shows. It was the community really showed up in droves, and so you learn like, wow, we're gonna need to uh, to add some more concerts next time. And I look at these film series and I see you know the way Blade Runner is performing and the interest for that. And so yeah, um, we definitely made the right choice in, in working with our great partners at the auditorium for for the series. Yeah. Uh, so what are, what are, are uh, by, the, by the way, you mentioned that you had, uh, a, you know, a musical celebration of the Chinese New Year. How often um, are you involved in these performances? Do you, I mean, it sounds like you're a very busy guy and that um, the orchestras and the Philharmonic and all the other, mu- you know, musicians in the city are busy. Are there gigs every night? What, what, how often are you guys out there? 
we do about 35 concerts a year. Okay. So um, we, we would perform year round. So some months you might get three or four, some months I, you might have one. Gotcha. Um, the summer is quite packed and so is um, the fall. So, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, we're, we're quite busy. And then uh, in addition to that, we have like smaller um, chamber programs and, and our community programs around those 35 concerts as well. So right. it definitely keeps us busy. For the five films that were chosen for the Auditorium Film Series, and by the way, it's uh, auditoriumtheater.org, um, and uh, Blade Runner in concert is February 17th. It's at 7.30, and it's at the Auditorium. Uh, they're showing the film. By the way, they're showing the 2007 cut. I want to make sure that people, um, and I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, Terrell. Yes. There are three different versions of Blade <laughs> Of Blade Runner. Yes, um, yes. I am old enough to have, I was 17 in 1982 when the first one came out, and I probably saw it in the theater, I don't know, 15, 16 times. And mm. and that version, which has the sort of notorious voiceover narration uh, that Ridley Scott hated and Harrison Ford hated, uh, that's the one that I grew up watching, uh, that I had on VHS, that I saw on cable over and over and over again. And then in 93, when they released the version without the voiceover, I was like, oh, this is much cooler. And then in 2007, when the ultimate version came out with the unicorn scene and all the other stuff and the, the voiceover taken out, that's the quintessential version, and that's the one you guys are showing. I want to make sure that people know that it's the best version of the film that you could see. Um, but, you know, I always have a soft spot in my heart for the 82 version because it's the one I watched over and over again. But how did these films get chosen? You've got Batman, which, I mean, Danny Elfman's score for Batman is astonishing. And obviously the score for Blade Runner, or for, uh, for Black Panther is amazing. And Dracula, how did, how did you choose Dracula? And, and again, this is the North American premiere as well. How did that one get chosen? An incredible score. Um, not, I mean, it's obviously, I think it's loved by musicians, but it's not a hugely popular score. How did, how did, uh, how did Dracula end up in the series? So Dracula, um, the we one we have a tremendous Polish community in Chicago, yeah. and yeah. we have this great work by the Polish composer Wojciech Kilar, and his music is is so fantastic. And any opportunity to bring to shed light on uh, the talent, we we, we absolutely want to do. And Got so yeah. we seize the opportunity to to host this premiere, and because that's that score is so epic not it only is. do you have the, the huge orchestra the 40 person choir accompanying us um it's it's incredibly scary it's it's like the, the cinematic elements in that score are like as i always always say to my staff and as we're, we're looking at this like the music is always you know one of the superstars this is one of the cast members of um of the film and yeah. and so yeah. the music the music is so impactful and I think that concert, you know, the walls are going to shake because yeah. of the, this is the size of the ensemble and yeah, the power. Yeah. And, and so um, I think it's going to be very exciting. And uh, the decision process was it was easy. You know, once we listening to that music um, and the film is also out of this world. So um, I, I, I am so curious. I can't wait for October just to see, yeah. uh, you know, how the audience receives it. Well, it's uh, the movies are Blade Runner, Batman, uh, the 1989 uh, Tim Burton version, Black Panther, uh, Dracula, the Bram Stoker, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and Love Actually. And by the way, if you want tickets and you want to, you want to check them out for any of the five films, auditoriumtheater.org and also 312-341-2300, 312-341-2300 for any of these films in the series for the live concerts. Now, um, how does the, what's the rehearsal process like, Terrell? You get the band together. How many times do you watch the film? 
Um, what is that? What is that? What is that like? And how often? How many times do the musicians and everybody see the film and sit on the film? What's the rehearsal process like to nail it down for the Saturday premiere? So the I think the uh, we, the the biggest pressure is likely on the conductor. The conductor has a a challenge of keeping everything in sync. So these these movies, the technology behind it, to the conductor has to be incredibly precise. So. To, um, so the conductor is doing a lot of pre preparation in advance. The musicians, these are pros. So for most of these projects, they sh they will have one rehearsal, and it's the afternoon of the show. Wow! And they're superstars, and so wow, that's um, amazing. You never, you, amazing. you'd never know. You never know. Um, you know, so uh, people always ask me, "Wow, how many weeks have you have they been rehears rehearsing?" And you know, they have. The thing is, they have decades. If you combine them together, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they come together in the afternoon. They have a three-hour rehearsal, and then they make magic for the concert. Isn't that amazing? And one of the challenges, you mentioned earlier that this is a, kind of an unusual electronic score that broke a lot of new ground. I mean, Vangelis was a, was, a, was a composer that worked in the electronic medium a long time before. Now, as you mentioned, it's a regular thing. But he was on the cutting edge of that. So what are the challenges for the musician and for everybody, in, musicians, and not, not only the musicians, but everybody involved to bring the electronic score to life as opposed to the sort of traditional, more traditional scores? Well, I, I think the, the challenge is, you know, he, he composed most of this on a Yamaha CS80. And yeah. we, uh, we have um, transformed this for an ensemble of musicians. So we have uh, string quartet, repentet, and they're all electronic strings. So, and they're um, on the fly. They're also manipulating their sound through their instrument, but also through pedals, uh, similar, you know, that you'd have like with using a guitar. Um, and then in addition to that, we have our three synth players and uh, the percussionists, and there's also a singer. And it's, it shows the talent of our, of our orchestra. One of our violists, she's a, an amazing violist. She's a professor at, at a local college, and she's also tours with Taylor Swift. So. And the part oh my God. Wow. required it required a person who plays the string instrument but also sings. And so when I was looking at the score to this, I'm like, I know exactly who to go to. Uh, right. <laughs> so right. Uh, so she was she was born to, to do this project because not it's not always you find someone who's very talented on on the viola, but also mm -hmm. an incredible uh, vocalist in their own right too that's amazing well the challenges seem like uh they've been met i can't wait uh terrell i cannot wait till saturday like blade runner is one of my favorite movies of all time and i love the score and i love to see live score accompaniment to movies i really do it's just very special and people have not experienced it yeah i mean you must love it as well i mean it's just it's how how what what's so special about it how would you describe it to people what makes it so cool to see a live band or orchestra accompany a film um you're going to know this well because you, you've seen this movie so many times. So when you see the concert, it's like witnessing it for the first time. Yeah. It, it's like hearing it for the first time. It's like seeing it for the first time. Um, uh, there's nothing like this experience. Sometimes people ask, well, I've seen that movie a lot. And I, you've never seen it like this. No. You've, you've never heard the music. <laughs> um, it's, it's very special. So I, I love these projects and um, I'm so happy that, you know, we're continuing them in a larger scale and doing them basically every two months from this point on. So, yeah. Well, it's great, man. Congratulations on this program. Um, I, I can't wait to see. I'm going to come to all five of them. And uh, I'm so excited about Saturday because you guys are kicking it off with one of my favorite movies. Incredible score live. Uh, it's part of the Auditorium Films concert series. That's PH Films. 
uh, concert series. And you can get your tickets today at auditoriumtheater.org or you can call 312-341-2300. And the films are Blade Runner, which is this Saturday, Batman, the Tim Burton one, uh, Black Panther, Dracula, the uh, uh, Francis Coppola Dracula, and Love Actually for the Holidays. Live orchestra on stage. The last time I went to a live uh, band accompanying me to a movie, I saw... um, uh, the band Goblin performed their score for the Italian horror film Demons. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was at the uh, the the, per- the Copernicus Center um, mm. on the northwest side, and it was just a, you know this crazy Italian prog rock band on stage doing this insane score for this crazy zombie movie, and it was fun. I, I, I love I just love seeing this kind of stuff. But this is going to be epic. It's going to be epic, and I can't wait to yes. see it. Um, Terrell, uh, uh, get back to the Terrell Corporation right now and get the replicants <laughs> ready. I like that. Uh, and congratulations on, on everything that you've been doing as executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic. And uh, hopefully I'll get to meet you on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Terrell. That's Terrell Johnson, everybody. Uh, and again, Blade Runner is this Saturday at the Auditorium Theater, live in concert. It's going to be amazing. And let's talk to Esmeralda. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Fantastic theme by the one and only Jason Skaggs. You know, it's time to talk to the great Esmeralda Leon, uh, who is my partner and friend. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Um, So as we hit a Friday, any plans for the weekend? Anything anything going on? Um, Not that I know of yet. Oh, but there could be something. I guess okay. the weather's getting nicer, I think. It, well, no, actually, this this weekend is supposed to be, uh, you know, it's like 50 out right now as we record this. And I don't want people to think that, you know, we're recording this, you know, I don't want to fool them into thinking <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> but on the weekend, it, we're supposed to get down to like, uh, at, you know, like uh, at night, the teens. Oh, well, then never mind. Yeah. I will be doing nothing. <laughs> okay, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. We're supposed to get a little blast of snow on fr- on Friday, and then it should be a little bit cold. But then, of course, by Monday it'll be fifty again. So the snow will last probably yeah. twelve hours. But yeah, the the weekend's gonna be a little chilly. It, it, the 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 winter has not letting go of us yet. So uh, anyway, so how was uh, uh, how was the car show? Oh, it was fantastic. The auto show. It was. <laughs> Right? Is that yeah. the song? The, the, the auto <laughs> show. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you got the you got that jingle busted into your head. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm not. Well, there's I'm not, the boat show. Which yeah, was the boat show. My favorite. Well, there was a boat there that uh, that was oh. being ha- was being hauled by a Chevy truck. Um, ah, okay. Uh, well, you know, I've not been to the auto show. Um, like we've talked about this, like as just like a patron, mm-hmm. over thirty years, Julie. My girlfriend never been to the has never been to the auto show before, so it was yeah. her first time. Now I had been there doing remotes as we talked about, you know. Uh, but you mm-hmm. you walk in, you go to the mic, you say some stuff. You don't really see the show that often, especially if you're busy and you're, you know. So you don't really get to see a lot of stuff when you're doing a remote. So spending hours, we were there for like five hours, um, 
and we covered everything. We went from every dealer, you know, we went to every car company and we saw all the models we sat in cars we got behind the wheel we took test drives with drivers you know i was gonna say yeah you get to you get to do that yeah it was fun it was really the line was way too long for the bronco hill Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. this is a giant hill that's in the middle of mccormick place that you get into it you get into a different kind of ford they have four different sort of uh ford broncos big trucks and they go up this giant hill you know, and then you go down the mm-hmm. hill and you drive and that the line for that was nine miles long. So it was even on even on Super Bowl Sunday, the line was ridiculous. Um, but we did. Uh, I mean, we, who doesn't want to drive up a, up a, a giant hill, hill. or be, McCormick place? be driven? <laughs> I should say be driven up a giant hill because they're not going to let you get. Oh, OK. Oh, they don't yeah. let you do. it. Oh, no, 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 no. Because people will gun the gas and fly through, <laughs> you know. You know, and, oh, and start. No. no, no, no. They have professional drivers who are, uh, you know, who are there for you. You get in, you sit in the passenger seat or you sit in the back, you know. Yeah. And that's what you do. So we, we did a couple of test drives with with different drivers um, in a Hyundai. We we were, we drove in. An, it, uh, what the hell was it? The Iconic, the Iconic 5 and the Iconic 6 are what we took test drives in. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty cool. They were pretty cool. And we had a very Gabby driver. He was very, very Whoa. happy to talk. Yeah, he was great. And they drive you around and they do tight turns, you know, and they show you, oh, look at this. It's got the, you know, and you're in the middle of McCormick place. You know what I mean? It's not like you're, (laughs) and the other thing that's hilarious. How how long is it? How long is what? Like the little bit you're driving. It's a circular, well, it's not a circular, it's like an oval track that they've, because McCormick place is huge. So it's like an oval track. And it goes, it, it's oval, but it has turns and stuff. So it's not really oval, but it's got turns and stuff in it. But I don't know. I don't, I, I would guess like um, one, one way around would be a half mile, maybe a little less than a half mile. And you oh, go wow. around it a bunch of times. You go around it a bunch That's of a times. Lot. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot. Like thinking about it. And then, Seems then like the, the, the little path that you take when you're in the Bronco that leads to the giant hill they have like these weird little obstacles that you have to go over. Like one wheel goes up off the ground and flips over and one, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's all kinds of weird, it's like going over a weird obstacle course where you're balancing on two wheels at one point. Mm-hmm. And then you go over a giant hill. And, but the thing that, mm. the thing that I thought was hilarious as well, is that both of the places, because there were three, there was one track that was also really packed that we didn't get a chance to see. One track was dedicated only to fully electric cars. And that was all okay. the way on the far end, at the very end of, 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 the, of the show. You know, there were no booths around or no sets around. It was just the track. So you had three full tracks where you could do three different kinds of test drives. The most fun was the Bronco over the hill thing. But of course, yeah. on all of them, they put fake trees and shit and fake grass. So it made it look like you were actually, <laughs> they wanted to give you the feel. <laughs> You're in the forest. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're- Right, we're not in the middle of a giant cold building on Lake we Shore Drive. We also don't really have hills. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. But they put trees you do, in there. We don't. Yeah, uh, but it was fun. The you know, and the, all the new models and the new cars were cool. I kind of have a weakness for Mustangs, and that's what we saved for mm-hmm. last. We went to Ford last, um, and they've got these really. There's a 2024 Mustang that a convertible that I got into, and I was like, oh my god, I wish I had my license because I would go into this thing and go 90 right now. <laughs> Um, and um, Julie had a thing for the Bronco. She wants a Bronco, so I was like, "We get it. no wonder we get along. I want a Mustang. You want a Bronco? They're two horses, so we we get along." You know. Sure. 
on perfectly. Side by side. Yeah. Two horses. <laughs> um, and they also, here's the thing, Esmeralda, if you do go, first, it's fun. It really is. It's a lot of fun. There's a ton to do. They've got a big food court in the middle, and Robinson's Ribs are there, and there's Connie's Pizza. There's all kinds of great places to get food and, you know, and to sit down and relax. And they have all these great places where you can check out the cars. By the way, if you go, check out the Subaru uh, display. They had the coolest mm-hmm. display. They had like an interactive, they, their, their theme was keeping uh, forests alive. It was very nature forward. And mm-hmm. so they had like uh, aromatics. So it smelled, so it, when you walked into their display, it was all covered in trees and stars and leaves and everything. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And they had a wraparound like uh, uh, I- IMAX screen for all of their displays. Um, and, uh, you know, when you walked in, it felt like you were like in a, in like a forest. And on one end, they had a dog adoption pen at Subaru. Oh, so wow. You, so you can go and hang out with puppies. <laughs> so you can go and hang out with they're puppies. Just, they're yeah. trying to hit all the notes. Oh, no, they did it. No, Tom, trust me. Esmeralda, Subaru knows what the fuck they're doing completely. And they had all kinds of interactive and cool, you know, like a, you know, like, here's what happens when your car's on a mountain and they had a car that was covered in snow and all kinds. Of, it was yeah. just very cool. Subaru was cool as shit. They, they really went all out. It was the best, best display and the best, you know, and, and, and puppies. And, I, and, and it, 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 you know, I guess not oddly enough, the, the, the hardest thing to look at were the puppies, not the cars. Like everybody was just surrounding the puppies because you could, you could actually adopt one. You could walk out of the dog. You could walk out of the car show with a dog. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was Subaru, and they were, and 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 actually check out all of that stuff. But the one thing that you need to check out if you go right near the big bi level uh, rest area with the restaurants and the tables, the picnic tables and stuff, Mm -hmm. is massage chairs. So, oh, oh, oh my! And it was fifteen minutes long, and you get in there, and this chair like (laughs) lifts you up. And you stick your arms and your legs. You take off your shoes. You stick your arms and your legs in there. And it measures you. And it gets your body density. And then it gives you a 15-minute mm-hmm. massage. 15, and it was free. 15-minute massage. Oh, my God, Esmeralda. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And then they try to sell you. They're like, why don't you buy one of these for your house? I'm like, yeah, I can't afford a, 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 fold- yeah. <laughs> I can't afford a fucking folding chair, let alone this thing. But I'm telling you, it was the 15 minutes, and I felt rejuvenated. And we did it right. It was perfect, too, because we came across this, and, and Julie was like, oh, my God, it's these. It's, I, I heard about this. She's like, oh, my God, it's, it's massage chairs. And I'm like, all right, whatever. This is going to be a bunch of horse shit. And I'm telling you, it was like having a human. It was like having a, a, a full body, you know, pressure massage. And it was free. Nice. It was 15 minutes. And that's worth it. <laughs> that's worth it. And it was halfway through us walking around for five hours. So we had been already walking for over two hours. We did this thing. And, well, we immediately wanted to go to bed because it was like, huh. You know, when we <laughs> Right. And you drink this water. You got to drink water. Relaxing. It's unbelievable. You got to drink a lot of water after you get a massage like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, but anyway, if you go check out Subaru for sure, have fun on the test drives and stuff, but check out the massage chairs. I can't tell you how unbelievable it was. And it was free. <laughs> it was just incredible. So I, not I, I, bad, not that's bad. what I, that's what I, and it's easy to get to. We took a Metro train. It was a 15-minute ride, uh, ride from Julie's place on the south side, and it drops you off. The metro stop is right in McCormick Place. You don't even walk outside. So it's great. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And this weekend we're doing it. We have a sci-fi weekend planned. Oh, what's that entail? So tomorrow night, Saturday night, we're going to see Blade Runner mm-hmm. in concert. 
And um, this is oh, at okay. the Auditorium Theater. I just talked with, I just finished talking with Terrell Johnson, who is the executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic. Fantastic, fun uh, interview nice. I just did with him. And it's the Philharmonic Orchestra accompanying Blade Runner live um, on the giant screen in the auditorium. So we're going to that. And it's Blade Runner is one of the greatest, maybe my favorite science fiction movie of all time. So we're doing that. And we're so excited about that. And and uh, going to meet Terrell Johnson afterwards and everything because he was the executive director. It's going to be fantastic. And meet some people from the Philharmonic, these incredible musicians who are going to be performing it live. It's going to be great. So Blade Runner in concert, Saturday night. And then Sunday, Fathom Events is showing um, on the big screen at a bunch of... A, but you know Fathom Events where they do the mm-hmm. uh, a number of events and movies and stuff like that. Well, they're showing David Lynch's version of Dune for the 40th anniversary. So we're going to see that. Very so, cool. It's Very a sci-fi cool. weekend. Saturday night, Blade Runner in concert, and Sunday, David Lynch is doing on the big screen. So it's all sci-fi all weekend. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're a couple of dorks, so that's what's happening. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who else is excited about that? Uh oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Oh, she's wearing a Dune T-shirt. Hi, I'm oh. Carrie Russell, and I Hi. love Nick's show. The David Lynch version. I would imagine she'd have, she has them ready to go. Yeah, she's ready. She's selling them like hotcakes. Multiple the Dune, multiple <laughs> Dune t-shirts and multiple Blade Runner shirts. Because you know that um, <laughs> Dune Part 2 opens on March 1st um, and with mm-hmm. my boyfriend, with my future husband, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, cling, 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 that guy. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I'm seeing it this week, this coming week. They're screening it for the critics this week. I can't even explain <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous i may pee myself i'm so excited oh boy so don't wear a diaper me. i will <laughs> yeah I and it's long too it's like it's like two hours and 40 minutes so I, you know i think even under normal circumstances some of us might have to wear a diaper because it's a very long movie right <laughs> but anyway so that's coming up uh this weekend um and if you do anything exciting please let me know yeah <laughs> let yeah, us all yeah. know let us all know of course. Absolutely. All right. So uh, this and is not gentlemen, happening. Michael Bolton. He uh, he is he is doing better, and uh, those dates will be you know as we know he will be he'll be back on the road probably uh, middle of this year is what we hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bolton. So that's all coming up. All right. Uh, so uh, we we got a new tell tell everybody about our new. Box. We got a new box from Universal Young. Boy, the timing couldn't have been better, right, Esmeralda? Because yeah, it we, was perfect. We just finished our tour of of, of Poland mm-hmm. on our last episode, mm-hmm. and literally the day after our last episode dropped, the other day we got a box from Universal Yums. And uh, tell everybody about Universal Yums in the box that we have this time. It's really from a lovely place. So Universal Yums sends snacks from around the world, and each month you'll get, well, whatever uh, subscription, you get a subscription, but each month is a different country. Right. And uh, we've had Spain, Poland, and now we have France. France. France showed up, and nobody stole it from my lobby. I'm, it's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> It's incredible. Did you try the, did you try, because you didn't get to try the Spain ones with me. Not with uh, you, but I did. But I did eat them because they sent me. And and again, unbelievable customer service at this. Place. Did you get the egg? Did you get the egg chips? Uh, the fried egg chips. Yeah. My God, Julie and I almost passed out. It was they're so. so it's insane how they taste like a fried egg. It's insane. It's, 
insane. Not in a bad way. It tastes no. like you just you're no. eating a fried egg in olive no. oil. It's not, it, it's it uncanny. Is, it is truly unbelievable. It is really one of the best one of the best snacks I've ever tasted. And we saved that for last because you were that was your favorite. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah. let's go in. That and the lemon. Yeah. The lemon cookies. Yeah, the lemon. And those were our two favorites, Esmeralda. Those were our two Woo! favorites. Those lemon those, so cr- those lemon cookies are nice and crunchy. Nice. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. Really, really good. And I also really, well, you know what else I really liked? And I know, I, I guess you're not crazy about it, but I really love the pistachio flavored caramels. They were fine. Yeah. I know you're not a big pistachio not- person, right? I'm no. I mean, I'll eat pistachios, but I'm not like, oh my god, I need to yeah. eat this pistachio flavor thing. And yeah. they're actually, I still have some in the cupboard. Do it. Yeah. No. I we de- we demolish those. We actually liked everything. Um. You know, some things more than others. But without question, the two favorites were were your favorites. You were absolutely right. And we saved those for last, and we were like, man, Esmeralda yeah. knows what she's talking about. She's got some good so taste. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. So great stuff. So now we have France. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and these boxes come with a map, with a fun little map, uh, you know, highlighting some really cool things. And this, these are very kid-friendly with activities and a booklet. Oh, and yeah. It gives you for history. Sure. They're very kid-friendly. They have a little quiz in there that you can take, mm-hmm. and you can, you can rate the snacks that you taste. And we're yeah, going to try— stickers a, and all kinds really of stuff for fun. kids. It's really, really fun. And Universal Yums is great. And by the way, my box from Spain was stolen— and Deanna, who, by the way, uh, uh, got us subscribed to this to this uh, yes. uh, thing. Deanna, wonderful person, a really cool, uh, really cool person, and a great uh, fan of the show and of my, my of the podcast as well. My old show and the podcast uh, wrote them and said, "Hey, this was stolen from my friend's lobby, and uh, Universal Yums sent it a replacement at no charge." So even that the customer, even nice. even the customer service is great. Not only is the idea great, the packaging great, and the snacks are a lot of fun. But Universal Yums has great customer service as well. So mm-hmm. I got nothing but thumbs up for this place, for Universal Yums. Yeah. So. And they're, the sizes of the, the snacks, too, is quite incredible. You think they're just going to send you, like, a little fun size? No, no, no. They send you, a, like, a good, like, we, the, the one in Poland, we got, yeah. like, it was a full-size candy bar. Yeah. Um, and a, and, and that one. Everything's full size except a couple of things where it's like you just get like a couple of they're like little candies. Yeah. So they'll send you like a little a tiny bag of them, but everything else is like full size bags. Of I, stuff, still, which is I still I still have and I'm looking at it right now. I have a I have a put I have a clip on it right now because it there's more left over. I have the it, it was a full bag of the potato and butter chips from Poland. Oh yeah. And I still have those left with a potato chip clip on the bag. I, so it's. <laughs> We tasted we tasted those like two and a half episodes ago, and I still yeah they're big. Over. It was a big, no. big yeah. bag. They're, they're great with their portions as well. So today we're gonna taste garlic aioli potato chips, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm really looking forward to, and a raspberry roll cake. It's a cake roll with raspberry filling, and they're both from France. Yes. Yeah. So Universal Yums, man, uh, big thumbs up t- for what they do. Like really, really a, a great, great company, great product, and and also on top of it, as well, like great customer service that we that uh, that mm-hmm. yeah. I've I've, ex- I've experienced firsthand. So they're not even a sponsor. Maybe they could be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should be. Hey, Universal Yums, why don't you sponsor the podcast? Because uh, that'll be that'll be very very cool. But check them out. So we'll have we'll taste some French snacks. Um, and I actually learned something from these books. They're aimed at kids, but I'm a oh, kid, wow. so, so I learn <laughs> things from these books because I'm not a smart I'm not a smart man, as you know. Oh as well. boy! So. 
Well, look at that. Learning. Yeah. Learning, learning something from, new. Good learning job. From, learning from eating. That's the way I like to look mm -hmm. at it. I'm mm -hmm. learning from eating. So there, <laughs> so there you go. All right. So um, I know that you enjoy the Magic Megaphone, Esmeralda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have one today. For people who would like to be a part of the Magic Megaphone, there is a Magic Megaphone that sits next to me during every single recording. And if you would like me to say something into the Magic Megaphone, a special message for someone, uh, a line from a movie, a joke, whatever, you want me to record something from a movie or a song into the Magic Megaphone, I will do it. I am at your disposal. And uh, just send me a, 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 an email or leave me a voicemail telling me what you want me to say or do to the Magic Megaphone. And then your request will be personally uh, uh, you know, fulfilled and you will hear it on the podcast and it'll be fun. So if you have a voicemail that you would like to leave, it's 773-417-6948. An email you'd like to leave is nickdpodcast at gmail.com. So we have a Magic Megaphone, Esmeralda. Are you ready for this one? Mm -hmm. yes. Scott Scott in Roselle, Illinois. Scott in Roselle, Illinois, wanted this to come out of the magic megaphone. Are you ready, Esmeralda? I think mm -hmm. you may recognize this. Yeah. I think you might recognize okay. this. Here we go. I don't care. I don't care. So. I don't care. No. <laughs> I don't care. Do you know, you know what it is now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> what are you if you know what it that is line cra that just cracks me up every time it's yeah. uh it's tommy lee jones mm -hmm. from the fugitive yelling at harrison ford when he says i didn't do it. i didn't yeah. kill my wife he's like i don't care exactly this is exactly he's in the what tunnel he says. he's in that tube tunnel At the, the tube tunnel jump. by the waterfall by the very high yeah. waterfall and this is it i don't care <laughs> that's tommy lee. i don't care <laughs> Doesn't it sound kind of flawless the way it's repeating? Yeah. It sounds as though he's saying it over and over again. He only says it once. That's the that's the incredible mm -hmm. that's the incredible quality of this uh, megaphone that repeats the message over and over again automatically. Wow. Nice. So, uh, Scott from Roselle, the the Fugitive is his favorite movie. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie directed by the one and only the fantastic Chicago filmmaker Andy Davis was a massive hit in 1993, was nominated for multiple Academy Awards, was a box office smash. People love it. It's a very cool movie. One of Harrison Ford's funnest roles, loaded with a lot of really cool action. Tommy Lee Jones won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor oh, for that role. Good for him. And it's Scott in Roselle's favorite movie. He says he watches it all the time, and his favorite line is that. And I guess that would be most people's favorite line from that movie, wouldn't you think? Um... Yeah, I mean, other than I didn't kill my wife. Right, <laughs> right. And he also, now that you, when, when I go back and I watch Harrison Ford movies, I count how many times he points at someone angrily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or how many times he says this. Get the fuck out of my house. Right. <laughs> right. Because right. that's him. That's him. Get the fuck out of my house. So that's, the, that's Harrison Ford. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of The Fugitive and great location work in Chicago. Not all of it is shot, shot all over mm -hmm. the country. But because right. Andy, Andy Davis is from Chicago, a good chunk of it and some very memorable, I mean, the St. Patrick's Day Parade um, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Chicago is featured prominently in the movie. Um, but yeah, a great Chicago movie. You're a fan of The Fugitive then? Yeah, it's a great movie. I recently, we rewatched it. Um, so yeah, it's it's... 
I didn't realize that there was a, a sequel to it. Yeah. With Tommy Lee Jones and that yeah. crew and all that. I thought that right. was interesting. U.S. Marshals. And um, it was uh, the Fugitive. Such fugitive. A grumpy man. He is. <laughs> and it's t- Joey, Pant- Joey Pants is in U.S. Marshals again. Uh, Joey Pants is mm-hmm. And uh, the, I don't know if you remember who the fugitive is that they're looking for in U.S. Marshals, but it's Snipes. Yeah. 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 Wesley. Now, have you seen U.S. Marshals? Uh, we watched, I think, like, second half of it. Mm-hmm. So we know like how it ends and everything, but I didn't. Yeah. We didn't it's watch not, the beginning. <laughs> it's not particularly great. Again, though, but nice use. Essentially, you know, running. Nice use of Chicago. Fugitive. <laughs> nice use of Chicago. Um, you know, and Tommy Lee Jones is grumpy and has smart Alec remarks, and that's all he does uh, mm-hmm. in the movie. And yeah. he's good at it. Yeah. But I remember we were uh, working out of an office uh, publishing the Roy Leonard Going Out Guide, which is a magazine that Roy Leonard had that I was managing editor of many, many years ago. And mm-hmm. we were right outside. Uh, we were on Institute near Wells, which is right where the where the uh, the Brown Line drive, uh, fly, uh, goes by. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there when they were shooting a scene where Wesley Snipes and Tommy Lee Jones are running around on top of the uh, on top of the L. So we we got nothing done at the magazine that day because all we did was watch them shoot the movie from. <laughs> <laughs> so so that that uh, that magazine did not reach the deadline because we were watching Wesley Snipes running around on the wow. tracks. So <laughs> but it was fun. Do you have favorite movies that were shot here or favorite scenes that like if someone says, "Hey, what are great Chicago movies or great uses of locations?" Do you have any favorites or or your family or anybody that you know uh, uh movies that were when you think Chicago movies, what are some of your favorites? Um I always think of and this isn't this isn't a uh a movie that people think of too often but um there's that keanu movie it was keanu reeves yeah um yeah i can tell you the name of it if you yeah was it it's chain, chain, reaction? Ch- oh, chain, reaction. chain reaction yeah also by um, the way directed by andy davis same director as the oh uh, well there you go <laughs> yeah yeah but that's keanu but and morgan Keanu's freeman a scientist yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> no one believed that but okay uh, <laughs> yeah he plays no, a lot I, of unbelievable characters <laughs> i believe man. it i believe it i believe it some people are like who cares i'm not i love keanu so keanu's yeah. in it yeah mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and and but i remember there is a i've only seen it i've seen it i've only seen it a couple of times i didn't i, I like yeah. it but it's got a scene where the yeah, michigan Avenue bridge goes up and like yeah yeah, they're running around those bridges. Yeah, it's cool. It's Andy Davis. Again. I always, I always think about them when I, when I used to cross those bridges all the time. Yeah, I always thought of chain reaction. Yeah, yeah. No, Andy Davis has shot a lot of movies here in Chicago. You know, my favorite Chicago movie is an Andy Davis movie, and it's an unusual one. My favorite is a Chuck Norris movie called Code of mm. Silence. Code of Silence. Uh-huh. Um, I think the most. I love it when Andy Davis makes movies because he doesn't do the, you know, the shot in When Harry Met Sally where they're going southbound on Lakeshore Drive, even though they're going to New York and they're going down the wrong way. Um, just so you can get the shot, you know, of the Hancock and the Drake. You know what I mean? That shot. Right. So that's, the, that's the stereotypical shot that any filmmaker, or in Buckingham Fountain, you know what I mean? Like any, yeah. any yeah. filmmaker who's not from Chicago thinks those are the shots that I need to make it feel authentic. Mm-hmm. When you get a guy like Andy Davis who grew up on the south side of Chicago, he uses really cool locations like he did in Chain Reaction and The Fugitive. But Code of Silence, man, shot entirely here. And it's a Chuck Norris movie. It's a really good Chuck Norris movie. I know that that sounds like an, you know, 
um <laughs> like uh what's the what's the word when something is the opposite a, an uh, oxymoron that's it there you go i know it seems like an oxymoron <laughs> but it's a seriously it's a good movie and it happens to be a chuck norris movie uh, but the yeah. locations are unusual and when he does feature the l it's not like where you usually shoot the l it's like on the south mm-hmm. side and it's awesome so my my favorite use of chicago is in the chuck norris movie code of silence again directed by andy davis and if you look up Andy Davis or Andrew Davis, as he goes by, if you look up Andrew Davis, um, like on his IMDb, you could pretty much bet that at least a chunk or a good portion of most of those movies were shot in Chicago, and he will do great location work. So, nice. yeah, but I, that's cool that you pick an Andy Davis movie. That's awesome. That's funny. So, yeah. <laughs> now, now, and of course, I also, I think, um, mm-hmm. Color of Money. Oh, yeah. Is a funny one yeah. just because they're supposed to be like road tripping <laughs> and they just, <laughs> he just stays in the city. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I love that Chris's Billiards is in it. Chris's Billiards, which is on Milwaukee and it's the second floor one. That's yeah. where they that's where they go in. And I believe that's where they go in. And Moses Gunn is the guy who's running it. And that's where they first see Forrest Whitaker, I think. And it's mm, on the second mm-hmm. floor, but that's when they're on the road, but it's on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. They're on the road. It's like, that's, yeah. it's yeah. funny how like we, how the city could, they could just pretend it's like, no, these are all yeah. different places now, in different That's cities. also, that's also fun though. Right. As well. Like when you see the movie as Chicago, you go, yeah. Cause like, like for instance, like in the blues brothers, which is probably think widely considered maybe the best Chicago movie of all time, because mayor Byrne was like John Landis, John Belushi, Dan Ecker, do whatever the hell you want. Yes, drive through yeah. Daly Center and bust out the windows. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do whatever the, yes, pile up 9,000 cars on Lake, and, on, on, Lake and, uh, uh, on Lake Street. Please do that, you know. Um, you know, and, you, and, and let's destroy as many police cars as we possibly can. <laughs> so, because seriously, Jane Curtin, or Jane Curtin, Jane Byrne just went, whatever. So as a result, but like there's, there's really um, mistakes in car chases in that movie like they're mm-hmm. driving down they're driving down wabash and the next thing you know they're like on milwaukee you know i'm like wait how do, what right yeah <laughs> i mean that's yeah the same with like when a lot of times you'll see people get on the they'll get on a train they'll get on the cta and yeah it's like right. they end up somewhere where i'm just like that's not yeah it's not even close not south Ford at all <laughs> exactly okay. not even close like like um uh for instance there's the the famous uh train scene in risky business uh, where they have sex in the, you know, on the, on the, on the L. Mm-hmm. Um, they, now they do, they're on the right line, but the, the, the one inconsistency, the big inconsistency is they never run the, 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 has never run just one car. There's always more than right. one car. <laughs> and, you know, they were waiting for the car to empty so that they could have sex and remember, they take the homeless guy out and they put him at the stop. They put him on the stop in the subway and then they go back in and he goes back in. Yeah. Because the entire car now is empty. That's not true. They never run just one car. They never run just one car <laughs> on the CTA. They've never done that. They never will. Yeah. The, yeah. um, the, uh, all the, the shows that are here in Chicago, the yeah. Chicago Fires and, right. Yeah. TVs and even ER, I remember watching ER. Yeah. And and, you know, in the later years when I lived in Chicago, seeing 
them roll up to whatever they'd be yeah. walking up a, a train station and i'm just like that's nowhere near right county but okay. it's hilarious <laughs> it's hilarious it's hilarious it's funny and it's funny too because like those shows don't they take place in the big ass medical district don't they i mean i don't watch the those shows but i mean they... well er was cook county right exactly <laughs> was cook county hospital yeah, and right. it's like this just nowhere near where they would right. be like they'd be like straight downtown it's like that's right. no no <laughs> i love that they hang out don't they hang out on on police or med or one of them don't they hang out at richards at, um on, i don't on know where they have one of them on the fire one they have a one of the guys owns a bar oh okay um is but i don't a, know is it a set one. it might be a set maybe i don't know I, it but, might be someone's bar, but I have okay. no idea where. I just, I, I think they're all mainly South Side. I know that places. I know that one of them shot, or one show shot at Richards on Milwaukee and and, and Grand, and I can't remember what. It, maybe it was that show, The Beast, the one with uh, Swayze. That's what it was, the one with Swayze, mm. The Beast. That was like his home hangout. That's where he hung out. That's what it is. It's The Beast. So in, in every episode of the Patrick Swayze uh, show, that's the last show he did before he passed. And my friend yeah. Mike View, my, my late great friend Mike View, is in, has got a great role uh, in that, um, in one episode of that. But yeah, they, they, that was his home base. That's where if you wanted to hire Swayze, you'd have to meet him at Richards. So, so I got granted. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, it's a great use of Chicago in a lot of um, a lot of movies. One of one of my the one that I when I asked Julie this, I was I asked my girlfriend. She the first one that popped into her head was Adventures in Babysitting. Um, yeah, because she loved the use of the Thompson Center in that movie. Because um, uh, uh, I think they climb up the side of the Thompson Center in that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, that's another on one. Some that building I couldn't yeah. tell you. I haven't seen it in a minute. Uh, and Joliet's the, uh, very own. The yeah. uh, oh, I can't remember his name right now, but he's the redheaded kid, the uh, annoying redheaded kid from that movie. He's not Seth from Green, Adventures right? in Base. He's the neighbor. No, Seth Seth no. Green. No, R- annoying redheaded no. kid. I don't know him, but he's from Joliet. Has he been in anything else? Yeah. He was in Rent. He was in the original oh. Rent uh, cast. Not Anthony Rapp. No. Yes. Anthony Rapp. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he's mm-hmm. in Dazed. He's in Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who has the he has the one who has the Abraham Lincoln uh, dream. He has the sex dream about mm-hmm. Abraham about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, he's and, from Joliet. Yeah, he's from Joliet. He's the one, by the way, who filed the lawsuit against Kevin Spacey. He's the one who filed the criminal. Yeah. He, yeah. All right. I didn't know he was from Joliet. Wow. Yeah. Or at least he grew up there. I don't know if he was like okay. born and raised, but and he went to my of, high school. Speaking of wow. Speaking of Joliet, Blues Brothers. Well, I mean the opening yeah. of the movie. Well, the opening of the movie right. is a shot. The opening of the movie is a shot of Gary and then Chicago and all that stuff. But but it yeah. leads right to Joliet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how people know for the most part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. I say now, I grew there... up in Joliet, and they're like, "Oh, Joliet Jake." Yeah, like, Joliet yeah. Jake. That's it. Joliet Jake. That's right. Yeah, lots of movies, and of, of course, all the John Hughes movies that were shot here. Um, and um, yeah, and there was a movie called um, uh, God damn it! Why am I blanking on the name of it? Billy Crystal Gregory Hines. Um, shit. Oh. Um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of it? Uh, shit. And it's the name. And, 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 uh, another movie has the title, too. But Running Scared. That's it. Running Scared. Yes. Running Scared. Shot here in Chicago. And there's actually a chase scene on L-Tracks where they have cars on L-Tracks. Oh, God. Yeah. No, you should watch it. 
Wait, they're so you, running on the tracks? No, they're driving the cars on the L, on the L tracks. Oh, okay. It's oh, like okay. a car chase. It's like a the And they do run on the tracks as well, but it's a car chase that takes place on the L, and at one point an L flips a car over. Oh, God. Yeah, you should check it out. I wonder how they did that without... Yeah. They, electrifying anyone yeah, i have no idea but they <laughs> I, but i don't want to i don't i don't want to uh, have been one of the people who had to uh to to be in transit on the way to work that morning i can tell you that much could you imagine yeah they would have to shut everything down everything oh, no everything Ugh. so and that's another one that you need to watch as well just to go that's not the right stop and, and go a car would never right. be on that you know what i mean <laughs> so, it's like running, you would be electri- scared. electrified yeah Running di- on the track. Directed by Peter Himes, also a Chicagoan who got his start on Channel 2 News. He used to work oh. at uh, he used to work at CBS Channel 2. He also directed The Relic, which was shot a good portion of that was shot at the Field Museum. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. So, no. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, The Fugitive, that's how we got onto this conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yes, I understand. <laughs> I don't he doesn't care. care. <laughs> he doesn't care. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So Chicago movies. If you've got any Chicago movies that you would like to share with us, what are your favorites? Uh, drop us an email or drop us a, a voicemail at 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk about some of your favorite Chicago movies. All right. It's snack time, Esmeralda. Mm. You ready for some snacks? Yes. All right. What do you want to try first? We've got the garlic aioli potato chips and we have the cake roll with strawberry filling. Both from france what would you like to try first? let's let's try the the savory first okay so we'll do the chips all right let yes. me read a little bit about the chips garlic lovers in this yum equals the perfect mm. relation chip <laughs> uh, well. there's a lot of puns in here <laughs> it just hit me <laughs> yeah. it's a special occasion occasion in provence uh, if there's a special occasion, you will smell one thing. It's garlic. Lots and lots of garlic. That's because everyone will be eating aioli, the local garlic and oil dip. It's ordinarily reserved for Fridays when it's served with boiled veggies and green beans, uh, carrots and tomatoes. But on Ash Wednesday... Oh, wait a minute. When Ash Wednesday comes around, I don't want to break the illusion, but we're recording this on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> well, look at us. Wow. It's served with poached cod. I don't know if you have any poached cod available. I don't. I would love some poached cod. So would I. Me? But anyway, so it's Ash Wednesday, so at least we got part of this. We're, we're doing it on the right yeah. day. All right, so garlic aioli potato chips from France. Oh, my God. What do you think? These are garlic. Okay, let's try You just half. smell. The smell coming off of them is oh. insane. Oh, I do wow. like that they're ridged. I do love a ridged chip. Yes, they're like ruffles. They have ridges. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. If you like garlic, mm. welcome. Oh, holy man! Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's real garlic. <laughs> yeah. Good thing Julie's oh, not wow. around. I won't be making out for a while. I can tell you that. <laughs> holy cow! But these are really good, though. Man, they're really good. Real French potatoes oh. in sunflower oil. They're natural flavor, no preservatives, and no added MSG. Just aioli. Man, these are great, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my, my God. God. All right. So a big thumbs up. And oh. we will uh, post a picture of uh, the packages on our uh, social media. But it's bread. And they also have butter. Mm. If it wasn't enough, there's yeah. butter in it, of course. So <laughs> it's Brett's. Brett is French, yeah. Brett's. B-R-E-T-S. Brett's is the brand name if you want to Google it. But it's uh, garlic aioli 
potato chips, and they're uh, and they they're ridged. They have ridges. Man, they're good, right? Holy moly, mm. that's nice. Well, I need to drink a little water because now right, we're moving on. Cake. Now we're moving on to a uh, cake roll with raspberry filling. Stop before you bite into this cake. Smell it, just like juicy raspberries, <laughs> right? While you might consider anything resembling cake firmly in the dessert category, this particular confection is a little bit different once you get into France. Fluffy raspberry roll cake is typically eaten not as a dessert, but for breakfast. Oh, okay. I mean, I eat cake for breakfast. <laughs> I mean, what are pancakes? Cake. cake. Yeah, <laughs> it's sure. just cake. Let's not deny Flatten it, right? Cake. All right, raspberry roll cake. It says mini Honestly, roll. Honestly, this looks like like a rolled up pancake. Yeah, with raspberry filling. Mm -hmm. It does. Okay, it does. It looks like a small rolled up pancake. All right, we ready? The raspberry is quite nice. Does smell good. It's does very, smell very soft. Good. Okay, it's very, very soft. Here we go. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. man. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Oh, you know what's funny? Delicious. You know what's f interesting about this? There's no seeds. Oh, if yeah, there is, right. I can't. I haven't gotten any. You're right. There isn't. No seeds. And that's one of my issues with Fig Newtons. All right. <laughs> they got seeds. Right. I hate it. Boy, these are. this is really great, too. It's a nice, a very nice soft Fig Newton without yep. the fig. <laughs> yep. It's beautiful. And it's in a nice oh. silver, silvery package with a raspberry and the word mini roll written on it. Oh, these are delicious. Man, too Boy, right out of the gate, France knocking it out of the park, right, Esmeralda? Like, why, uh, why don't we get delicious snacks like these? I know. <clears throat> Our man. chips are kind of like boring. These are man, boring so, lame. Brett's uh, garlic aioli potato chips, a home run, and um, mm -hmm. the mini roll cake roll with raspberry filling is also a home mm -hmm. run. Man, two great snacks from Universal really Yums. Nice. And from France. Wow. All right. More fun. We've got more, many more snacks in here and many more facts and all kinds of fun stuff that we'll do. We'll do it on the next episode. Also on the next episode, Esmeralda, you ready? What's that? Oh, wait. By the way, before we get out of here, I do have a voicemail. Let me play this right away. I want to make sure oh. that this gets played. Okay. We have a voicemail from a listener. And again, anytime you want to leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948. Really quickly, here's a lovely voicemail from some listener. Uh, hey, Nick. Uh, this is a long-time, a multi-generational Nikki listener, Rachel, here. Um, and I wanted to make two comments about your latest podcast uh, with Mel Minow on the Nikki podcast. Um, first of all, you should have her on to talk about the movie she hates because I love the way she says, that's an awful movie. Oh, my God. I just, I've been partly listening to this latest podcast just hoping she'll say it again. Uh, secondly... Uh, you said some of the earliest movies you remember seeing in theaters were Disney movies. Well, I'm born at the tail end of 72, and the first movies I remember seeing in theaters, um, as far as I know, neither are Disney movies. Uh, one was Raggedy Ann and Andy's a Musical, I think. Um, and the other one was the Muppet movie, which, you know, hey, for first couple of movies to see in the theater, not bad for a kid, you know, born at that time. Anyways, as usual... Uh, your show rules. I'm sorry your personal life is so hard, but we're out here pulling for you and wishing you all the best. Thanks so much for everything you do. Goodbye now. See, that was lovely. It's lovely. That and was she, has, she, clearly, she clearly has birds. 
I like the bird at the end. Just yeah. right at the end there. Wants to get the last word in. Wants to get the last word in. So that was a very nice, uh, very well, nice that message. Was lovely. Long time listener Ew. talking about the return of Nell Minow. Um, Esmeralda Nell Minow mm. came back, and I'm so thrilled. I haven't talked to her in a long time. The movie mom, and she's just as lovely and wonderful as I remember her to be. And she's now a regular. And nice. by the way she will have a theme song that Jason is working on right now. Lovely. So, I'm so excited that Nell Minow is back. I couldn't... Uh, I like to surround... I, here's the thing. I've, I'm just figuring this out. I like to surround myself with very smart women to make me look like the, like I'm not smart. an idiot. Yeah. It's you know, I got people like Marnie Shore. I got Monica, I got Monica Ang. I got you. I got Amy Guth. Now uh, returning is, is Nell. So it's just like, if I surround mm-hmm. myself with smart women, I fool people into thinking that I'm not the idiot that I am. And that's, that's the plan. <laughs> So, yeah. Hey, hey! On the next episode, speaking of idiots, Jim Ryan is going to join me. No, Lovely! Oh, there you go. <laughs> Jim, Jim two dudes. <laughs> two dudes. We're going to talk about music and scratch our nuts. That's what we're going to do next time. So Jim cool. Ryan, Jim Ryan from <laughs> Forbes and Daily Herald is going to talk to us about music. He's interviewed a lot of really cool people uh, lately and concerts, and it's always a lot of fun to talk to him. So that's coming up on the next show. Esmeralda will be here with more of a taste test. We're going to talk about celebrities that everybody hates too on the next episode. Um, so my thanks to Terrell Johnson, the executive director of the Chicago Philharmonic. The concert is Saturday night, and it's Blade Runner live with an orchestra, and I can't wait to go. It's going to be great. It's, it's the first of five films, as we talked about, in the series, and they're all going to be a lot of fun. The other ones, Esmeralda, you ready for the other ones? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1989 Batman with a full orchestra. So Danny Elfman's score Ooh, will be performed fun. live. Uh, and then, um, uh, why am I blanking on, uh, on the next one? Uh, oh, Black Panther live. Um, oh, nice. And then um, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman with a full oh, orchestra. Oh, man. With a, by the way, that'll be the biggest orchestra. There's going to be 115 people on stage during that. Oh, that's crazy. Isn't that nuts? And, and that that's in October. terrible piano accent. <laughs> yeah. Get, it all comes full circle. He goes from scientist to, 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 oh, to Jonathan. Yeah. To Jonathan. He plays Jonathan Harker in that, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. And then uh, the last one for Christmas, not one of my favorite movies, but people will love going to Love Actually with a full orchestra. So. Oh, okay. So that's all part of that, uh, that whole uh, program. So make sure you check it out. And please make sure you check that's out awesome. our podcast. Be a sponsor uh, at Universal Yums or anybody else. <laughs> Sales at RadioMisfits.com. It'll be good for you. Lots of people listen to the podcast. Voicemail, 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music and the sounds. Please take the time to uh, share, rate, review us on every single platform. RadioMisfits.live is our 24-hour streaming service that you should check out. And Ed Sill is the man responsible for all the coolness. So thank you, Esmeralda, because you rule the planet. Oh, thank you. Um, we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. The wind is right on me.